Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to see you all. I am thankful that you are here, thankful that you are with us. Uh, If you've not been with us yet, uh, please know that together, faithfully, we are walking through uh, 1 Peter together. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go ahead and turn there. Uh, We are uh, studying through 1 Peter, and as a reminder to those of you who have been with us as we've started uh, this study together, we are walking with the elect exiles as Peter continues to write to them. These elect exiles are those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, and now because of their faith, they have been scattered across the region due to the persecution. And so what's going to happen this morning for us in our text is Peter is going to change gears and move from encouragement encouraging the believers, which is what we've seen in all of chapter 1 and in the first part of chapter 2, to now all of a sudden speaking to directly to how now we should live. Now, I find that to be an interesting question in our lives today. You see, when we read this text, I want us to, to pay careful attention to Peter's words. Because I believe what Peter says to the elect exiles is a word that is both good and a word that is a sobering reminder for us as well. You see, I remember asking the same question in my own life, a question where when we look at media, we look at social media and we say, how am I to live in all of this? How am I to live in in this mess that we now call life. I remember asking myself that very same question when I was a college student at a major public university. And if you don't know which university that is, let me remind you, it's the University of Georgia, the defending national champions. But we're not going to talk about that today. I remember being there, being constantly hammered as a college student by new ideologies. I remember being hammered by new worldviews all during a time where I was growing in my own faith and and during a time where I was coming into my own understanding of the word of God and what it is that God had called us to. I remember sitting specifically in communication classes and literature classes and even religion classes that was a, a department that was led by a man named Dr. Godless. And I remember the lack of word the lack of the word of God that we talked about. And this was happening in my life, and this was all happening during a time where, again, I was growing in my own faith, and then by God's grace, I was introduced to a Christian professor, uh, which honestly was rare on our campus. And this professor became a mentor professor to me, and he introduced me to a work called How Now Shall We Live by Charles Coulson. Now, again, if you've not read this book, Uh, This is a book about being a Christian in an unholy and an imperfect society. Now, I am not saying that everything in Dr. Coulson's book is perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but there is a quote that stood out to me within that book. You see, Coulson writes, Christians who understand biblical truth and have the courage to live it out can indeed redeem a culture or even create one. This is the challenge facing all of us in the new millennium. Now, just for fun, Dr. Colson would also say, when morality is reduced to personal preferences and when no one can be held morally accountable, society quickly falls into disorder. I think we are seeing this played out before us today. Now, coming back to our text, I believe this is exactly Peter's point in our text to the exiles. You see, Peter's already said, look, we don't belong here. 
but we are here. So how can we make a difference with the time that we have now been given? And so this morning, Peter's going to call the exiles to live as sojourners, recognizing that this place is not our home, but while we are here in this temporary home, we should live in a way that glorifies God and points others to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me. We are in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, beginning in verse 11. Now, once you have found your place in the Word, and you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, if I could, I want to set the scene for you. You see, Peter is repeating a theme that he has already established for us back in chapter 1. Peter says that you say you don't belong here as elect exiles. Again, you would be right. You don't belong here. In fact, Peter acknowledges that as Christians, we are estranged from the society around us. And though this may be true, the one thing we do know is that we are now a people who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. We now belong to Jesus Christ. And there is coming a day where he will call us home and we will see him again in glory. So with the affirmation of what is to come that we've already seen from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 and the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter now turns his attention to answering the question, how now shall we live as sojourners for Jesus Christ? Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you this morning, there are five points that I believe Peter gives us. The first two are a little bit extensive, okay? So just brace yourself for that. But I promise you by the time we get to point number three, they're going to move in rapid order, okay? So don't fret when you hear that this is a five-point sermon. We're not going to be here all day, okay? This sermon will not close with a five o'clock ice cream social. We will be done before then, all right? But let's jump into this and answer the question, how now shall we live as sojourners? Verse 11 and 12, Peter tells us, first, we should keep our conduct. Notice how Peter opens. 
He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Now let's just pause there for a moment because again, as the redeemed in Jesus Christ, we now live and follow the rules and the commands of God, which puts us in direct opposition to the world. Thus why we are now estranged from the world. Now notice he uses words like sojourn here or exile. Some of your translations may say strangers or aliens, meaning that you are either a long-term resident who, though you were not born there, this is now where you live, thus you've been there for a long time. Or better yet, there may be a word like exile, which means that your time in residence has been much shorter because you've been excommunicated or kicked out, if you will, of your community. And so where you are is much more temporary than what you are hoping or anticipating. Either way, whether you're using the words sojourners, exiles, strangers, aliens, Peter's point is very clear. As followers of Jesus Christ, we belong elsewhere. This is not our home. This place will never be our home. We will never have a permanent residence here, nor will we ever hold all of the power, nor will we ever hold all of the prestige. Now again, none of this sounds good for us right now, but remember what Peter is reminding us right here in our verse. He says, we are God's People, thus we belong to God's nation. So with this in mind, Peter now urges the exiles to keep your conduct in how you should live. Look with me in verse 11. He says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Notice Peter tells the exiles to resist or to fight against the sinful paths that our culture presents. Now pay attention here because Peter's not saying go to war with people that disagree with you. Nor is he saying launch an assault against those who are in sin. Rather what Peter is telling us is this. Do not rationalize your life away. Do not justify sin as if it's okay, thus making sin the norm for society. Do not trivialize things that the Bible clearly says is wrong. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we should not rationalize our self-indulgence, nor accept without question temptations that will come for us. In fact, Peter says, if you're going to wage war, wage war against the flesh, because the flesh is waging war against you. I love what John Owen in The Mortification of Sin says. He says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. In talking about the passions of the flesh from the text, Peter is, is really using the same language that is used by Paul in what we read in Romans 13, but also uh, the list of sins that he gives us both in Romans 13, but also in Galatians chapter 5. You see, Peter knew that the culture was corrupt, but he never wanted the exiles to blame the culture for their problems. You see, for us today, like in Peter's day, our sin problem is not the result of culture. Peter would say, no, sin is a you problem. Sin is a me problem. 
As Christians, we've got to stop blaming everyone else around us for our sin issue. You see, we are the ones who choose how to respond. We can either choose to respond in grace, choose to respond in humility, choose to respond according to the word, or we can choose to respond in sin. So what Peter says to us is this, our culture is not to blame for our sin. We are to blame for our sin. You see, in the text, Peter is reminding the church that the Christian life is a life of war. We must be prepared for battle every day because sin doesn't take a day off. Satan does not take a day off. Now here's the reality. In our own lives, society itself has given us the opportunity to get things done immediately. Society has, has given us the opportunity to kind of to lull ourselves to sleep with instant gratification and instant glorification so that we can indulge ourselves in our own selfish desires and then just hit the reset button for the next day. In fact, look at everything that we now have in our fingertips. I mean, do you realize that we now live in a day where you no longer have to go to the store for anything? You can get online, click a button, and somehow by the time service is over, that thing you ordered is at your door in a box already wrapped. You don't even have to wrap stuff anymore. How great is that? We have technology. Technology that gives us games. Games that give us instant victory, immediate victory. Games that give us immediate gratification. And so I think if Peter were alive today, like early church historians, like early reformers, like early Puritans, they would look at what we have today in our self-indulgences and in our self-gratification and all these things that we think make our lives easy and, and more comfortable. And they would say to us, Christian, be careful. Be careful. And they would become concerned with our ease and our warmth and our comfort. And we would ask why, and they would say to us, because too much ease, too much comfort, too much warmth will make you selfish. You don't believe me? Then answer this question. Why is it that after a Sunday morning service, people will contact their pastors and complain about the building being too cold? Why are there churches... This happened to me this past week. A pastor called me, asked me to pray for him. I said, what are we praying about? I thought we were going to pray for the salvation of someone that he had met. I thought we were going to pray for the mission trip they were about to go on. Nope, we didn't pray for any of those things. You know what we prayed for? We prayed for his church because people had stopped going because the building had become too hot. Y'all, we live in Florida. I don't know what you expect. It is not comfortably 70 degrees year-around. Even this Georgia boy has figured it out. I melt like a snow cone every Sunday up here. It is hot. But why would we complain about that? Why would we allow a minor inconvenience to keep us from gathering with the body of believers for the purpose of worshiping God? And that's what we were praying for. You see, the reality is this. We don't want our lives to be inconvenienced by anyone or anything. 
Well, I don't want to sound offensive today, but I'm going to. Because here's the reality. Following Jesus Christ is an inconvenience. Because it means that we are giving our all to him. It means that we are following him. It means that we are totally servient to him and in service to him, which means our lives won't always be easy. Sacrifices will be made. In fact, recently I just finished a book called Missions by the Book, written by Chad Vegas and Alex Cockman. And they said this. They said the missionary call, or better yet, the call of every believer is a call to suffer. From the ordinary struggles of life overseas to the extreme trials of loss or imprisonment, to take the gospel to the nations is to enlist for hardship. No one ever said living for Jesus Christ would be easy. But one thing we do know is living for Jesus Christ can, will, and always will be good. Notice with me the text, verse 12. Peter continues, he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now again, there's a lot to unpack with this one verse. But to put it simply, Peter goes from calling the church to be at war and fighting against sin to now living a life that is beautiful among secular people. Now again, realize that Peter understood and knew that slander was a common attack against Christians. Slander itself would often be used in order to vilify Christians. In fact, if you studied history and you saw what was going on in Peter's day, you would find that the emperor was Nero. And after blaming Christians falsely for starting the great fire of Rome, they would then accuse Christians of hating the human race in its entirety. And as if that wasn't enough, these same leaders would accuse Christians of cannibalism simply because they practiced the ordinance of communion. Now Peter, in knowing that these accusations would come, calls the church to live in such a way that all accusations would be seen and proven to be false. In fact, Peter would not stop there. He teaches us that the Christian life isn't just about law-keeping. It's also about people or pointing people to the beauty that is found in knowing Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves, in keeping our conduct as sojourners living in this day and time, how is the beauty of Jesus Christ and knowing him seen and reflected in our lives? Do people see us as believers in Christ and hear us as believers in Christ talking well of our faith, talking well of our Lord and Savior, uh, talking well of our church? Do we act in service? Do we act in grace? Do we act in humility? Now notice in the text, here's Peter's hope. He says, so that they would see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, Peter wanted to see non-Christians come to faith in Jesus Christ as they watched the beauty that occurred in the life of a believer. He wanted them to come to this uh, faith before the day of visitation or for Peter before the day that the Lord returns. So notice our takeaway in these first two verses. Christians are called to fight sin, but they are also called to live 
in the beauty that is the gospel. So that others will see, hear, and desire to be a part of Christian community. So I ask us this morning, does our life reflect the war we have waged against sin and not society? When people look at our lives, do they see the beauty of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? This would lead Peter to his second point on how we should now live as sojourners in verses 13 and 14. He says this, to subject yourself to authority. Now, as if focusing on our conduct wasn't a challenge enough, Peter now turns his attention to how we should treat our authorities. Notice with me in verses 13 and 14, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Notice that Peter has now turned his attention uh, from how we conduct ourselves in private and dealing with the sin in our life and the beauty that is found in living for Jesus Christ to now how we are to conduct ourselves in public. Peter says this, submit to authorities for God's sake. Why? Because Peter answers the question within his own statement. Because God is the one who has ordained all human authority. We didn't do it. God did it. So Peter, in speaking of the emperor and of governors, is telling the church to respect and submit to all authority from those who are federal heads all the way down to those who enforce local laws. But here's the reality for us as Western Christians today. We want to balk at this notion in our own pride and our own selfishness. We want to to just... Throw this out as if it doesn't matter simply because our candidate lost. But here's the reality. You don't have to agree with the person in charge, but you do need to respect the position. You need to respect the office. In fact, you need to pray for them. You need to be praying for our leaders. You need to be praying for our president. You need to be praying for our vice president. You need to be praying for our Congress. You need to be praying for our governor. You need to be praying for our our mayors and our our county commissioners. You need to be praying for our our law enforcement, our first responders. You need to be praying for, for their salvation, first and foremost. But then you need to be praying that in their life and in their leadership that what they say and do will glorify God. Let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about here. I'm going to say something that's very unpopular. Our president is Joe Biden. Now, I don't care what you think about the man. I don't care what you want to say about the man. The reality is this. At the end of days, when you study history and you open a history book and it lists out all the presidents of the United States, when you get to number 46, it's going to list Joe Biden as the president. When you go to Disney World and you enter the Hall of Presidents, which is the coolest building on that campus, both physically and metaphorically, okay? Cool because of the history of it and the air condition of it, but cool because all the, just the, the wonder of seeing all the presidents in one place. I promise you, when they go through the list of names and they get to number 46, they're going to say Joe Biden. Now, why is that so important? 
Well, the reality is, as Christians, we may not agree with his decisions and we may not agree with his policies, but he's still our president. And we should, as Christians, we should be praying for our president. In fact, Peter would argue, listen, don't be like the pagans. Don't be walking around, beating your chest, saying, not my president. Mm -mm. We are better than that. In fact, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the fact that when we don't show respect to our leaders, notice how it trickles down into the rest of our lives. Notice how the same people that don't respect our leaders are also the same people who do not respect our local authorities. These are the same people who do not respect their neighbors. These are the same people who walk into their churches and they don't respect their church leaders. They don't even respect the Christians that sit in Bible study next to them. They're the same people who say, listen, I hear you, but I don't believe what you're saying because I think I know it better than you do. That's not respect. It trickles down. So as Christians, Peter says, look, man, you are called to respect the leaders of this world. Now, you may think, Peter, you don't understand what it's like living in America. You don't know what it's like living with air condition and indoor plumbing. You don't know what it's like to live with a horrible leader. Peter would say, you know what? I don't think you know the definition of horrible leader. You can say what you want to about this person, but remember, remember what Peter has lived with. Remember what Peter was writing during. If you're a student of history, you would know that Peter wrote this message to the church during Nero's reign. This was an emperor who lied. This was an emperor who, according to Roman history, they list him as the weakest emperor ever in the history of Rome. He was a persecutor of Christians taking their lives willingly. He declared himself deity in order that the people would worship him. And yet it was Peter who commanded the church to submit to him. So if Peter can submit to the, can ask the church to submit to Nero, then we, we can certainly submit to our leaders even when they take stands on issues that we believe to be in error. Now again, before you cast stones at me, by God's grace, I don't see anybody with a rock, but I do see a lot of people with shoes. Before you cast shoes at me, I guess I should say, I want us to look again at verse 13 and underline the word subject. Or better yet, your translation may have the word submit. You see, in our day, this word is used when we have completely dominated or humiliated our opponent. But this was not true in Peter's day. You see, for Peter, the word subject or the word submit meant to arrange your life under the authority or the guidance of another. A person who submits to another still has freedom because they are the ones who can still determine how they want to follow a person. In other words, listen to what Peter is saying. Peter is saying blind obedience is not a requirement. That was true of Peter's day. It's also true of our day. Blind obedience is not a requirement for us today. 
In fact, if you study history, again, early Christians practiced civil disobedience when the demands of society threatened to override the demands of the Lord according to the word of God. You see, the Christian was ready to rebel. The Christian was always ready to say no in the face of wicked commands that go against the word of God. If you don't believe me, look at Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when Christians say, we must obey God rather than men. So you see, as Christians, we are called to be obedient and respect those in office who seek to keep the law. However, we are not called to blindly obey. In fact, when faced with choosing our leaders over the Lord, as Christians, we will obey. Always stand with the Lord. As Christians, we will always stand upon the word of God. This leads Peter to his third point of how we are to now live in verse 15. He says this, real simple, do good. Pretty simple, right? Kind of hard to screw that one up. Now, what's going to happen in these next three, uh, three points is Peter's really going to hit us with three final and quick points and how we should be living now as sojourners. So just look quickly with me at verse 15. He says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, notice that Peter is now summarizing the result of obedience that he's been talking about in our previous texts. Yes, we may have to face persecution. Yes, we may have to face slander, but as God's chosen people, we should still strive to do good as much as we can, as often as we can. In fact, fact, Peter recognizes that the accusations made against Christians may never disappear. We may never be able to silence the lies. So Peter hopes that by doing good, we will be able to silence most ignorant and foolish slanders. In fact, as Christians, if we live well enough according to the word of God, then the people around us who know us will refuse to believe the lies. So here's the reality, Christians. Let's not allow the talk of others to keep us from the work that God has called us to. Press onward and do good. You see, as God's people, let's do good in the small things and in the big. So whether it's taking out the trash or moving chairs or going on missions or serving local shelters or serving our local community, Peter says, do good. And if I could add a footnote here that I believe Peter would affirm, and he does later, and when the good is seen, give God the glory. Because it's not about us. It's about what the Lord has done. Fourth, we see that Peter says, and how now shall we live? As sojourners, he says in verse 16, he says this, live in freedom. Notice Peter in knowing that the believers may have, have read all of that he has said, and they might not really care for the call to subject themselves to leaders. They, might, they may not really care for this call to submission. And so Peter anticipates the response of, wait a minute, Peter. Man, I, I thought I was free. I thought I was a free man, Peter. I thought all of a sudden I've been liberated by Jesus Christ. So why should I submit to any human rule? And to that, Peter replies in verse 16, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living 
as servants of God. Notice what Peter is saying here. He's saying that, yeah, we are free. We're free from sin. Yeah, we are free. We are free from the law. Yeah, we are free. We're free from sin's penalty, which is death. But this is no excuse for insubordination. In fact, as Christians, we are free from sin, but we are servants of God. We were once enslaved to sin, but now we are enslaved to God. I love how Martin Luther puts this point. He says, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. And a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. So yes, we are free in Christ. But yes, in Christ, we are commanded to submit. We are commanded to serve. Now, too many people in Peter's day and in our day want to abuse their freedom. In fact, in Peter's day, historically, we know that there were Christians who wanted to rise up and rebel against the entirety of Rome. Now, I don't know if you know the history of Christians versus the Roman Empire, but this was a horrible idea. This was a task that was doomed to fail and therefore lacking any biblical insight. And so Peter in this passage is saying to us, no, listen, you are free from sin. But don't attempt to do things that lead to sin in the name of the Lord. Live free under the authority that is given to you by the word of God through the redemption that is found in Jesus Christ. So as Christians today, we must use our freedom correctly to love our neighbors. If we, we use our freedom correctly to serve God. Why? Because it was God who's brought us out of slavery for something more than our simple self-indulgences. He brought us out so that we could be redeemed. He brought us out so that we could serve him. This leads to Peter's fifth and final point in verse 17 where he tells the exiles to honor all. Notice that Peter closes by reminding the church of what it is that he has already written. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Notice these commands begin and end with honor and in love and fear, or better yet, love and respect or reverence is sandwiched right in the middle. Now, I believe Peter's point here is very simple. Here are four commands that generally govern and guide almost all of our relationships. So let's break each one of these down to see what it is that Peter is now commanding the exiles to do in terms of their own relationships. And maybe for a brief moment, we'll see how we are to treat our own relationships. Notice he starts by saying, honor everyone. In other words, Peter is telling us, listen, treat everyone with the respect they deserve if for no other reason than they were created in the image of God. That includes that person that you completely and vehemently disagree with. No 
person was created outside of the image of God. All of us are image bearers of Christ. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, in a pulpit is a friend of mine who is a pastor. And I promise you that he's going to preach a good message. Will it be a great one? No, I don't know. It'll be good. Maybe it'll be better than this one. I don't know. But either way, I can tell you this. I promise you, if I were to call this friend tomorrow, we disagree on almost everything theologically. Does that mean I cast stones at him and curse him? No. It means that even in spite of our differences, I still see him as an image bearer of God. Notice what Peter says next. He says to love the brotherhood. Simply put, Peter says this. He says, show affection to one another. Show affection and offer aid to all who are within the family of faith, which is the local church. Do you hear what he's calling us to, church? Church, he's saying to care for one another. He's not sitting there saying, hey, sit around and wait for somebody to come to you and let them care for you. No, he's saying care for one another. All of us are going through something. All of us are going through something. Your leaders aren't perfect people. Even your leaders are going through something. The question is, how are we caring for one another? How are we encouraging one another? How are we loving one another? You see, I think we've read this before where it says, and they will know we are Christians by our love. How do we love one another? Next, Peter tells us that we are to fear God. Now, again, this is not a fear like cringing in terror as if you're watching some horror movie all of a sudden, okay? God's not the guy who all of a sudden in a dark room beats down the door and scares you. That's not what he does. Although that would be terrifying, I'm not going to lie. But rather, what Peter is telling us is, listen, we treat God, we fear God with a holy reverence and awe and wonder of who God is and what it is that God has done. I mean, just think about that for a moment. God, who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence, is the same God who loved us enough to send his son to die on a cross for our sins. And he did this and knew this before creation began. That's the God we serve. I mean, are we in awe and wonder of the fact that, man, when we gather to sing about God, you are singing about the holy, sovereign God that even the angels fly around him in wonder. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. If they can say that, then just think what it means when we get to proclaim that as well. Peter then says, finally, honor the emperor. Again, repeating his point, respect those who are in charge, including the ones that we disagree with. Notice that Peter tells us that it is possible to oppose, protest, and vote against someone and at the same time show them the respect they deserve without canceling one another out. And sadly, that has become the habit of our culture shamefully, it's become the habit of the church. Here's our takeaway. 
as Christians, it is possible to disagree and to do so respectfully. Remember, even those that we disagree with are still made in the image of God. There are those that we disagree with who are made in the image of God and they may not have faith in Christ. Therefore, they still need the gospel. So let's honor them as image bearers of God and let's faithfully proclaim the gospel where it's needed. You see, Peter knew what the exiles were facing and he knew that persecution was there. It was upon them and he didn't know when it was going to end. In fact, he just, I believe Peter just assumed persecution was going to last a lifetime and he would be correct. So Peter now reminds the church on how to live under their current circumstances and he reminds them of the clear command of how now shall we live. Peter says, you live as sojourners. You keep your conduct You subject yourself to authority. You do good. You live in freedom and you honor all. So let's give honor. Let's give respect, always submitting first to Jesus Christ and then to the human authority as we can. So long as that authority does not cause us to sin against God or to sin against his word. Doing this, Peter tells us, will help silence the slander. It'll help cause us to live as servants of God. And we, in turn, will then honor the King of Kings. And his name is Jesus. You see, the greatest forces that we face today are not political. The greatest forces that we face are are not economic. But rather, they are personal. They are mental. They are spiritual. They are the cosmic forces of darkness in this present age. So again, let's hear the command from Peter. And by God's grace, let us live out our days as sojourners under Jesus Christ, who is our rock and our redeemer. Let's pray together.